at Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. Uh, you know, a lot of times when you ask the question, what's your favorite, it's a question we like, right? What's your, fa- you know, what's your favorite dessert? Well, we like that question. What's your favorite uh, college team? You know, we like that question. We have questions, what's your favorite we like, but if I flip that on its head, what's your least favorite? Now, this is where it's going to get interesting. I want you to think about your least favorite movie. Maybe it's your least favorite because it's like way, way, way too long. Like they could tell the story in 90 minutes and they took four hours to tell the story. Maybe it's one of those movies that you're like, it's just not worth the hype. Everyone hypes it here and I just don't think it lands. It's like my, maybe like you just genuinely don't like, it causes you to grit your teeth kind of movie. You know what I'm talking about? Like you just, you're like, I just don't like the movie. I don't like it at all. I do not like Green Eggs and Ham, Sam, I am. You know, maybe it's like one of those things. I want you to think about that movie. Because here in just a second, I'm going to count to three. Don't do it yet, because I'm going to count to three. And then you're going to turn to the person to one side and tell them your least favorite movie. And they're going to tell, and then you're going to look at the other person on the other side, and you're going to tell them. This is going to be an all play. So you thought like it was going to be hypothetical, and you didn't need to really think about it. But no, I'm serious. I want you to think about it, because you got like one, two, three. Go. Let's share that least favorite movie. I got to tell you guys, as I was practicing this, I was working through it and reading through it. I kind of have some notes. I'm like, I don't know if they're going to play this game or not. Because sometimes, like, you tell everyone, one, two, three, go, and it's crickets. But you guys played a long way. Like, you love to share the thing that you don't like, which is great. So to share my, because I didn't have anyone next to me. So to share mine, I actually have a little video clip. Here's my least favorite movie of all time. Oh, that like stressed me out even right there. If you don't know what that is, there's this movie called Groundhog's Day. And it's like February 2nd. And this whole thing, 6 o'clock, the same song keeps ha- about halfway through the movie. I'm not a, like an anxious person. My anxiety was through the roof. Like my insides were bubbling. I'm like gripping the seat at the movie theater. And I'm thinking like, I want out. Like I so want out of here. I don't like this. I feel so, and I think that's the whole point of the movie. And some of you are like, what's wrong with you, Billy? That was a great, it was not a great movie. It was a horrible movie. (laughs) The clip was bad. I didn't like it, right? It's just the whole thing. And yet I think that's how so many of us feel with life, isn't it? Like it just seems like we wake up. We drink some coffee, we go to work, we go home, we get up, drink some coffee, go to school, go home, we wake up, drink some coffee, clean the house, you're already home. You know, and it's, it's like, it's just never ending. This is life. You just do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And I would say throughout the past, what, 18 months, it's even been more so. That whole COVID season, like leading into it and even coming out of it. And so we try to break up the monotony, don't we? And man, I've seen people do all kinds of things to break up the monotony. It's like, I'm going to get in shape. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break up the monotony by getting really, really fit. And that's not, I cooked. That's what I did. I ate ice cream to break up the monotony. And some of you, some of you, you went the ice cream route like me, right? That's what you did. Some of you, you're like, I'm just going to work hard and I'm achieve. That's what I'm going to achieve. I'm going to do house projects. I'm going to do all these house projects. I'm going to have romantic relationships. I'm going to 
The substances can start to creep in, if that's you. And maybe it's the social media stuff for you. Maybe it's the 24-7 news cycle. We could keep going with this list, but you get the point. We do all kinds of things in our lives to try to break up Groundhog Day. We don't want our lives to be like that. Let's take our Bibles and open up to the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes, we're starting this brand new sermon series called Smoke and Mirrors, where we're going to talk about, I think, a topic that is so, so relevant for us today. A lot of times when we talk about faith, when we study the Word, you know what we do is we study the Word and we talk about heaven and hell. We talk about the things that will come. What I like about this series is we are going to really laser focus on the here and now and what it means to live out our faith today. Because you see, we end up chasing, we end up chasing the answers to these questions like, what is life all about? What's the whole purpose of all of this? The author of Ecclesiastes, most believed to be King Solomon. That's where I would land. There are some theologians who kind of go off in a different direction, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment. This book, I would say more than any other, uniquely sheds light on what it means to abandon your faith and start to bring in secularism. Secular, let's talk the root word of secularism. If we're at home and we're listening to worship music, worship music at home, and I said, hey, let's just listen to some secular music. What I mean is not church music, not hymns, not what we were singing this morning, like none of that. Let's just listen to like the 80s, like all-time 80s. That would be like secular music. So secularism... Secularism would be this thought of the rejection of any spiritual or religious reality. Secularism. Secularism is really what you see being battled against in Ecclesiastes. And here we are thousands of years later, and I would argue that that is what is saturated in our culture today. Because secularism says this. Secularism says, if you want to know the purpose of life, it's whatever you want it to be. In fact, here's how we say it today. You do you. You ever heard that? You do you, which means this, whatever makes you happy, is I'm just happy you're happy. Do whatever you want. In fact, I would say the greatest sin of secularism is to claim that there's absolute truth. That is the greatest sin of secular, because absolute truth would mean that whatever I believe to be true isn't necessarily true. You're saying that there is truth. And so you can believe whatever you want except for absolute truth. You're not allowed to believe that and so you see this constant tension in culture that's what we see in ecclesiastes and it's what i believe we see today i love how c.s lewis said it he said human history is the long terrible story of man trying to find something other than god that will make them happy yeah i, I think there's a lot of truth to that isn't there that that seems to be a continual cycle that we find ourselves in in fact that's the first thing i want us to wrestle with in Ecclesiastes 1, is why does nature seem to repeat itself? Because for thousands of years, this has been the story. It's been like a never-ending treadmill. Why does nature seem to repeat itself? Let's go to the word, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. So look at that word preacher there. If you're using the NIV, it'll use the word teacher. And that word is koheleth right there. The original word would be the word koheleth. The reason that's important is in the original Hebrew, this isn't called the book of Ecclesiastes. It's called the words of koheleth. Right? So that's what this would be called. So koheleth could be translated 
preacher. It could be translated teacher. Uh, the translation that I'm going to be using is going to use preacher. And so it says the words of the preacher. You have this wise man, this preacher. He is the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. So you can see why the default would be King Solomon. And then the whole description, the whole description that you're going to see through Ecclesiastes is verbatim, his life. If you don't know King Solomon, let me tell you about this guy. He was King David's son. And so he became king at a very early age. God went to him and said, one thing, you're allowed to ask one thing from me. What do you want? I'll give it to you. Now, just to be clear, he doesn't do that with all of us. It's not jackpot Jesus. You don't get to go like he's a genie in a lamp, right? That is not what we're commanded. But I believe that in this moment, that the Lord looked at this very, very young king and said, I know his heart right now. I know before he even forms his thoughts what they're going to be. And so young Solomon says, I want to pray for wisdom. First Kings chapter 3. I want to pray for wisdom, and God gives him exactly that. So even as this young king, he doesn't have experience, he doesn't have the years behind him, he doesn't have any of that. People come from nations around just to hear the wisdom of King Solomon. Today, thousands of years later, we still open up the book of Proverbs, don't we? We still read through Song of Solomon, we still read through Ecclesiastes, we are still reading his wisdom today. And yet, even with all the wisdom, he was not able to avoid secularism. It snuck right in there. He traded away all that wisdom from the Lord for secularism. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He didn't deny himself anything, which he flat calls out. You'll, you'll see it. He flat calls out. He didn't deny himself anything. If he had an appetite for it, he bought it. He took it. He did it. It didn't matter what it was. Oh, but it's against the Lord. He didn't care. He just did not care that it was against the Lord. Traded it all away. And so here was this man who was supposed to have this label of follower. He was supposed to have this label of believer. Instead, he took his hands and said, I want to adopt in secularism. You see, this morning, the message really is not intended for people who are just living in the community and they need a message of hope. This message, for those, whether you're watching online or those in the room watching, this message is for the church. This message is for believers because so oftentimes I think the danger for us is we want to come in and say, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. How about you? And I want to wear the t-shirt that says, oh, yes, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. And yet so quickly we trade it away. We'll come in on Sundays and we say we believe, but all throughout the week, if I said, where's your hope? Where's your purpose? What are you trying to grab a hold of? It's the same stuff that the rest of the world's chasing after. You're responding the same way everyone else responds. And church, our calling is higher than that. It is more than that. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 2, as he's trying to find the meaning of life, as he's going through and he's buying whatever he wants, he's taking whatever he wants, he's doing whatever he wants. In fact, if you have this whole mindset that he with the most toys wins, Solomon wins. No one's ever had more than Solomon. I mean, he had the wealth, he had the toys, he had everything. And here's his response in verse 2. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. He chased power. He chased satisfaction apart from God. You know, it ended up destroying his kingdom. Not, not God's, God's kingdom's everlasting. We don't, we don't have that kind of power, right? We're not going to destroy God's kingdom. But it destroyed 
his own kingdom. You see, his son literally saw the nation split into two, absolutely ripped in half, totally destroyed the kingdom as he was chasing satisfaction apart from God. What he found is he lost everything. So the author's main point here is this word vanity. You see the word vanity? I'd circle that and I'd draw a little note in my Bible that says 38. 38 times in these 12 chapters, he uses that phrase vanity. That apart from God, it's all vanity. Because life, life is so short, isn't it? It's a, it's a wisp. It's a, it's a vapor. It, it, it's, like, it's like that. It's here and it's gone. And he says when you chase after all that stuff, it's nothing but, but vanity. Contentment, he didn't find it. Fulfillment, it wasn't there. Satisfaction, nothing lasted. He came to this point of saying it was all meaningless. That's where this is going to end up going. You're going to see him respond with this is all meaningless. What does he mean by that? It means it's a dead end. He who with the most toys wins. No, he goes, that's, that's a dead end. Look at verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? I, I would actually circle verse number three. I would circle that little three because this, I believe, is the key to unlocking all of the rest of Ecclesiastes right here. That's right. And if you blink, you miss it. Like if you blink, you're not going to see it. But see how he says, what does man gain? Notice where the focus is. Notice where the attention is on the individual, isn't it? This is what secularism does. The focus is on the individual. And what does a man gain? What does it profit? This means what can I consume? I'm trying to go out there and grab what I want, what I need. I'm grabbing it for me. It is all me focused and me centered. And do you see under the sun? 30 times this appears in the book of Ecclesiastes, under the sun. Now, y'all have heard me preach long enough to know that I'll talk about like, well, the world says, or the world does, or culture this, or culture, Right? What I'm saying is under the sun. That's, that's how Solomon says it. Under the sun. Under the sun means apart from God. Under the sun is a way of saying we're doing, like God's ways are here, but we're over here kind of doing our own thing under the sun. So he's saying we're working, we're toiling, you're trying to profit, you're trying to gain. You're doing it under the sun, apart from God. You're doing it on your own. You're chasing after Anything that you want in life, and where does it lead? Well, it leads nowhere. Because if you buy into this whole thought of apart from God, you're also probably going to buy into naturalism, which says that there's time and there's chance. Whatever happens just kind of happens. I'm going to go with it. And Jesus said the same thing, didn't he? Mark chapter 8, verse 36. Jesus says, what does it profit a man? To gain the whole world. And forfeit his soul. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? The answer is nothing. The answer is nothing. I mean, you can go ahead. You can chase the toys. That's great. Chase the toys. Buy the toys. Trade the toys. Share the toys. Collect the toys. You can have all the toys. But eventually, because here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that there is this mindset. The world system, the world system says that if you do that, you're going to find satisfaction in life. If you do that, you're going to find purpose in life. If you do that, you're going to find happiness in life. What happens at the end of your days? You realize you can't take that with you. You have nothing. It's gone. So the world system, all this toil, it ends up being meaningless. None of this lasts ever. And maybe, maybe you're here and 
you would kind of think of yourself as the devil's advocate a little bit. He doesn't need one, just so you know. He doesn't need an advocate. But maybe that's how you've always thought of yourself. Maybe you thought of yourself as like, I, I'm a little cynical. I don't know that I buy into the whole faith thing, but that's why I'm here. I'm exploring. And I love that. I want you to know I love that. This is a good place to explore your faith. I, I think it's possible that there are people who are watching, who are listening, and you, you think to yourself, well, it doesn't have to be like that. It almost makes it sound like people of faith, you know, they're under the Lord and everybody else. They're just greedy and want big houses and big cars, and that's not me. That's fair. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, in fact, my whole goal in life, you want to know about purpose? I can have purpose apart from God. My purpose is I just want to leave the world better than I found it. That's my purpose. Okay, I love that Solomon actually goes on a rant about that next. Look at verse 4. He just goes off. Verse 4 through 11, he says, A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it can be said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor Will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after? So he gives three examples from nature, three examples where our experience mirrors nature. In every sense, here's what he says. He says, for those who would say, no, I just want to make the world a better place. Like, that's my purpose. He would say, let me make very clear. Generations come, generations go, nothing changes. The sun's going to come up, the sun's going to go down. The winds are going to blow, the seas are going to rise, the seas are going to fall. It's all going to be the same. And just in case you're thinking, man, we are doing some stuff now, he says, no, generations before, watch, a couple generations before, they're going to go, oh, yeah, we did that. Just think, hey, we got this great thing going on. We got these really rich people who they get in an airplane, like a little bitty airplane, and a bigger airplane carries a little airplane that drops a little airplane, and then they go into space. It's amazing. People from the 60s are going, yeah, we did that, <laughs> right? We, we so lived through that already. We've already had the big plane drop the little plane. We already went to space. In fact, we went to the moon. Like, we've done it. And, and here we are with a new generation going, no, this is new. This is incredible. This is so cool. And another generation saying, yeah, we've, we've already done that. And that's where Solomon continues to come back to that place of saying everything we continue to toil and to do, man, it leads to nothingness. That is not where you're going to find your purpose. That is not where you're going to find your hope. That is not where you're going to find your satisfaction. Can I just tell you the danger of the secular lifestyle? If you have started to buy into secularism, here's what it would look like. It would say, I go to church on Sunday. I go to church, but the whole rest of the week, everyone I work with, everyone I live next to, everyone in my family, we are all chasing the exact same thing. I don't look any different than them. But boy, I sure do like the worship songs whenever I come in on Sunday. Can I just say, friends, there's, there's danger to that. You're, you're wasting so much of your best energies. You just are. You're, you're looking for, for pleasure. And so if I ask, what does this look like? What, what does tomorrow look like for you? Some of you would say, okay, tomorrow, here's what I do. I got to set out the trash because Monday's trash day at my house. 
I'm going to set out the trash. I'm going to make sure the dog is fed and watered. I'm going to drink me some coffee. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to come home, eat dinner, go to bed. That's what I'm going to do. I might ride the bike too. You know, ice cream, you got to ride the bike. So I, that's probably what I'm going to do. Tuesday, what are you going to do? It's not trash day, so I'm not doing trash, but I'll get up. I'll drink me some coffee. I'll go to, you know, we just, we just rinse and repeat. And some of you are like, I don't go to school yet. I don't go to work yet because school's still a month away. So I got a little bit of a window. But here's the thing. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, we just keep trudging on this never-ending treadmill. It is like the worst movie that's ever been. And we live it. So many times you look around at brothers and sisters in Christ and they are living it. This is what it looks like when creation forgets the creator. This is what it looks like when it rains and we have people in the church who turn around and thank the clouds. We have to remember that we are the created and he is the creator. That's our big idea today. Our big idea is that, that he, God, is the creator. And maybe you're sitting here and you're going, you know, Pastor, it, um, it's actually been kind of a long week. It's been a really long week. And I've gone through some stuff, and I, I came in looking for hope, looking for a word from the Lord, and that's what you got for me? God is the creator? That, that's kind of basic, don't you think? Like, I was hoping for something good, some meat this morning, and you've got God as creator? I'm going to tell you, I don't think there's a bigger, big idea out there. I really don't, because when you get that into perspective, that God is the creator, and you understand who we are as created, it puts everything else in your life into perspective. Everything else comes in line because you understand that, yes, we are under the sun, but we are also people who are under heaven. We are under the sun and we are under heaven. Did you notice something in those first 11 verses? God isn't even mentioned, is he? You see me mentioned, a man mentioned a lot. You see what there is to gain, what there is to profit. You see that, but you don't see God mentioned. You see, we need to remember that God has a plan. That's our, that's our last point today. God does have a plan for the world, and it is so different than the world's perspective. It is so different than a culture of secularism. It is so, so different than that perspective. Back to help, I mean, if God as creator is pretty basic, let's go back to basic. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. I think this is going to be just nourishment for your soul. Genesis chapter 1, very first page of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Look what the word says. It says, in the beginning, God created. Can you just underline God created right there? God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, I would underline that, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, I would underline God said, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw, I would underline God saw, God saw that the light was good. And God separated, I didn't like God separated, the light from the darkness. God called, I didn't like that, the light, day, the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. Or listen, listen real fast to Psalm 104.3. The Lord lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds. He ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundations so that it should not be moved. You, Lord, covered it. 
You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so they might not gain again cover the earth. You made a spring gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. God is the creator. He is the sustainer. He created the heavens and the earth. You know the story. He created the heavens and the earth. And then on day number six, he created mankind, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, who had purpose. They were naming all of creation. They worked there in the garden. The Bible says they worked. They were working in the garden. They walked with God in the cool of the garden. Can you imagine how incredible that would have been? To walk with God right there in his presence, to see him, to hear his voice, to be that close to him, to know at the end of the day, today counted. What I did had purpose. It mattered. I worked, and it was good. They weren't satisfied with that, though, were they? They said, I, I want to keep God right here and have God where he is, but I, I want to come over here and do my own thing. I want to chase m- my kingdom. I, w- I want to chase what I think it should be like, of how I think it ought to go. This is where secularism really entered the picture with sin. Sin entered, and I would say this is where the pattern of nature really started. As you see, humanity fails and God pursues. Humanity fails and God pursues. Humanity fails, God pursues, and then it's the most incredible thing ever happened in the history of the world. This is where Jesus Christ came to the earth. He said, I'm going to break this pattern. And Jesus lived and he died and he lived again so that people could have a right standing with God. Not because we bring anything to the table, but because of our faith in Christ. In him, we find redemption. In him, we find salvation. In him, we find purpose. Listen to how Ephesians 1 tells it. It says, in Christ, you were chosen. In Christ, you are loved. In Christ, you are adopted as a child of God. In Christ, you are redeemed. In Christ, you are forgiven every act of rebellion, including every season where we as people embrace secularism. In Christ, you've been given the riches of God's grace. In Christ, you join with creation as everything in heaven and earth is brought together in unity. In Christ, you receive an inheritance. In Christ, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit for salvation. In Christ, God will work out your life according to the counsel of his will. That's where we find purpose. Under heaven, not under the sun. So Jesus, as he ascended into heaven, he gave us a mission, didn't he? And can I tell you something? I am... I think Jesus was serious. Like, I don't think this was hypothetical. I don't think this was like a, hey, this is just a nice platitude. Like, no, I think Jesus was serious when he said, go and make disciples. This is your purpose in life for all of us. This is the calling we all have. Go make disciples of all the nations. He says to baptize them. He says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded because I'm with you always to the end of the age. Just think about that. Think about what it means to teach people to obey everything everything jesus commanded because i don't think he's kidding i think he really wants this for us what it means is we're people who forgive even when someone hurts us you don't need to forgive otherwise right even when someone hurts us we're supposed to forgive that if someone says go one mile we'll go the second mile that if someone strikes us we, we don't strike back that's not the calling that we have We're called to live as Christ, 
Now, I know for some of you, when I said that, your insides cringed, and you're like, mm, that's not the way I'm wired. Well, that's the way Jesus is wired. That's the calling that we have in Christ. I think that's really what he wants for us. That's really the calling. Love your neighbor. I don't think he's kidding about love your neighbor. Like, even those who politically, they're weird. Like, we're supposed to love them, too. Like, all of them. Or that neighbor over there who maybe they're not very nice. Yup, love them. So I just want to ask you, what has the last seven days looked like in your life? With the last seven days, would you say, yes, it's crystal clear that I am a follower of Jesus, or would you say secularism has started to sneak in? Ben mentioned it. We had a group of teenagers that over the last seven days, they participated in Hope Week. All across Southeast Michigan, our young people gave their time, their talent, their treasure continuing to know him and to make him known what 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 did what'd you do with your last seven days life is a wisp it's a vapor it's it's like that what'd you do how did you spend your time what'd you do with your time was there any conversation with your neighbor just to try to know them to find out what their needs are to help meet those needs was it was there any of that not as a project, not that your neighbor's a project. No, I just genuinely love my neighbor enough that if they have a need, I can fill that need. When they celebrate, I want to celebrate. When they're hurting, they're mourning, I want to hurt with them. How about with your own family? What does your time look like? How about your talent? Where have you been serving in a way to continue to advance the kingdom? What does that look like in your service? You see, we have two services here. That way you can attend one and you can serve one. Right? What, is, what does that look like for you? What does it look like for your family to serve? Or with your treasure? What are you building up right now? What does it look like? Is your treasure the position you have within your organization or your company? Is your treasure the toys that you're trying to amass? Is your treasure when you look around and say, oh my goodness, look at the movement of the Lord in this group of people. I've got eight to 15 people in my life. Look at the change that's happening just because I'm being faithful with the gospel. Because my life is so short, I want it to count. I want it to count for things under heaven, not for things under the sun. Friends, let's as a church not fall into the trap of the world. I just want you to know I'm so thankful that there's not that combative spirit here. We just, I just don't see that. I don't see ugliness and anger with each other. I see a church that's truly trying to press in to encourage one another, to be there, to meet needs together. That doesn't happen on its own. It happens because we're intentional. It happens because we continue to push away from the ways of the world and continue to press into Christ. I believe this year, this is more important than ever for us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the high calling that you placed on our lives. Lord, we know that if Solomon, the wisest man ever to live, with all of that wealth, with all of that power, if he could fall into this trap of secularism, Lord, then, then it's right there at any given moment for any of us. So, Lord, I pray for our young people right now pray that our kids, that our teens, that they look at moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, aunts, uncles, Lord, their church aunts and uncles. They look at this church family 
And they see such a healthy, beautiful example of what it means to love the Lord, to follow him, to be faithful and following in his steps, to have the mind of Christ, to be people who truly do seek to live as Christ in all we do. I pray for our teens, Lord, that coming out of something like Hope Week, that they feel more empowered than ever to live as your ambassadors going into this new school year. That they see themselves as your hands and your feet. That they don't go to school afraid of being the Christian there. That, Lord, there's a boldness to their faith. And that as others see their faith, they, they want, they want that faith. Lord, I pray that we have the fragrance of, of Christ in our lives. And together as a church family, Lord, don't let us be afraid to live this life. I think a lot of times we, we go to church and we think things on our own. We pull the covers up at night. And Lord, as we talk to you, I, I think that in that moment we have boldness. In that moment we have strength. And the moment anyone else gets around, this scares us to death. Lord, we want to continue to see your gospel advance, forcefully advance. So don't let us for one moment become complacent. Let us live to your glory to know you and to make you known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we close our morning worshiping together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.